0: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Spotlight 10. My name's Dave and I'll be your host. Today we're going to be shining our light onto Radcliffe Royds. Radcliffe is a fantastic true storyteller, writer and raconteur. It was my great pleasure to book him for Stand Up Tragedy. He performed twice at the Leicester Square Theatre during our run. The first time was in February where I didn't give him enough time for him to tell the whole story. So I booked him again for our last show in July. And this is the recording from the July performance. Radcliffe is a really interesting guy and I think that the world is insane if people don't pick him up as a performer and storyteller and writer. You can hear more of him in a two-hour Conversation that we had on my other podcast Getting Better Acquainted www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk and you can also hear this story and another story on the Spark London podcast Spark London tell true stories they tell them live and they tell them all across London as mentioned in recent spotlights Stand Up Tragedy is currently looking for a team a team of people who all want to help take stand-up tragedy up to the Edinburgh Festival and in the run-up to the Edinburgh Festival we're going to be doing some gigs in London to raise some money so we're looking for people to help out in the London gigs and in going up to the Edinburgh Festival not just people to help us do lighting and sound and record the podcast better and things like that but also people to help us with the website to get involved in press and marketing and and all of these kind of things that you have to get done unfortunately stand-up tragedy is not paying any money to anybody in this team at the moment this is a labor of love i'm not getting paid but i'm loving doing it anyway the shows that we did earlier this year really great I'm looking forward to putting on more really great shows in the future so if you want to get involved with that come on board drop me an email at upstandingtragedy at gmail.com drop me a line let me know if you're interested in any of those kinds of things or if there's any other way that you think that you could contribute to making this show a really cool experience for the audience for the performers and for the people listening to the podcast at home so that's enough of me here is a much more eloquent man, I give you Radcliffe Royds. So now I'd like to welcome back to the, the Stand Up Tragedy stage a man called Radcliffe Royds who Woo! has been here before. Uh, the, last, the last time he didn't have quite enough time to tell his story so he's back to do it again. I first met him at Spark London which you can find at www.sparklondon.com. Welcome Rad, to the stage, but He's right here. <laughs>
1: I, I, I am Joel and handsome, and I'm not a murderer. I just want to make that clear after the last <laughs> act. Um, and my story, I'm afraid, is going to lower the tone very early on in the evening. Because um, mine is a tale of tragedy. Yes. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of um, the end of my second marriage. The tragedy started at the beginning of my second marriage, but I, I saw it through to the end. I, I've had several wives, two of whom my my now. <laughs> this particular night, cast your minds back. The year 2001, I think it was. It was a late July evening. I was returning from Bournemouth, where I'd been on a minor cavort with friends. And I came back to my lovely house in Clapham. Some of you will know Clapham. And I put my key in the lock and it didn't turn. I tried it to the left, and I tried it to the right. And then I I banged, as you do. (laughs) And I heard a whimpering on the stairs. And because I'm quite posh, obviously, I I have a letterbox. (laughs) So I'm now negotiating. It's the second time I've been on my knees to this woman. The first time got me into trouble in the first place. And the second time, as I negotiate the end of my marriage through a letterbox, um, left me homeless. It left me wifeless, which turned out to be quite a good thing. and completely stuck. It was midnight, it was a Sunday night, and I did what any (coughs) self-respecting person does and I rang up the mate and I said, it's a disaster, I've been thrown out, I I can't go home. And he was nice, and he said, just come around. just come home. And I arrived and he greeted me at the door, uh, gave me a huge hug and then his girlfriend from behind him appeared with a large tray of pharmaceuticals. (laughs) (laughs) Within an hour, (laughs) <laughs> I found my situation that improved dramatically. <laughs> and I didn't give a shit about anything. And I took to this solution like a duck takes to water, as people do. But what I didn't realise was that quite how far down this was going to take And the reason, funnily enough, that uh, Dave asked me to come to talk to you here is that I, I ended up living just around the corner here. But not in quite the way or in the circumstances to which I was used. Mm. So, having started this maniacal drug on <coughs> like crack cocaine, on heroin, on all these things, I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> From the back, you're probably thinking mid to late 30s. <laughs> You'd be wrong. I'm 24, it's been a hard life. <laughs> but. I got, I, just, I got sucked in, hugely, and I'd ripped off my friend, I'd ripped off all my other friends, my ex-wife pending, as she turned out to be, had alerted the entire world, my parents and everybody like that, don't speak to him, he's gone mad, I was living, I was living in my car at this point, um, and, uh, so I had a totally carpeted estate, is one way of looking at it. <laughs> um, and I, and I just could not stop. I just could not stop. And then it, I got lower and lower, and eventually I got so desperate, I decided to ring my parents.
0: <laughs> now, my mother
1: is the sort of woman that brushes her hair to answer the telephone. <laughs> and I rang her, and well, I said, Hi, Mum. How would it be if I came home for a few days? And she... And no dear! Our insurance wouldn't cover that. <laughs> <laughs> she put the phone straight down. I luckily, through my connections with all these nefarious chemicals that I was now taking, had met a really amazing guy called Delroy. <laughs> well actually as he calls him Delroy. And Delroy had a spider web across half his face, and he had trousers made out of beer mats, and he was a hell of an operator just up the road in, in Soho, and he taught me this rather sort of clueless, posh kid, who was sort of sinking into, into the morass, how to support a drug habit in the West End. <coughs> and you did that by stealing chicken wings and meat out of Sainsbury's, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally Asda, every little helps. <laughs> but I, I actually, you are know, listening to the man, I got done for the most well-travelled leg of lamb in Britain. They put a tracking device in a leg.
0: Well, I mean,
1: really. If you, uh, how, how many people, <laughs> hands, have anyone been to jail here? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do I feel lonely? <laughs> well, I have. Now, when you go to jail, you kind of want to have something with a shotgun or bricks mat or you know something with a bit of meat to it. Well, I say this. When you go in and they say, What are you in for? Oh, <laughs> You know humiliation. <laughs> Cutting a very long story short, Delroy and I, what we did was we would go into Sainsbury's and we just fill up our bags with, with, with meat. And I actually was performing quite a useful social function, so for those of you who think I'm a thoroughly dishonest, distasteful person, you'd be right, but I wasn't, I wasn't without some use, and that was that the woman that does Meals on Wheels in Westminster, or Ben did, um, would pay us 50p in the pound, so if we had a £10 pack of steak, she'd pay us a for it. She blocked cheap meat to do the Meals on Wheels, so everybody, it was a win-win situation. <laughs> the police and this tracking device didn't see it that way. <laughs> and on the night in question that I had I, I run my mother and she put the phone down, Delroy just said, oh, don't worry, you can come home with me. What? Like that. He sounds like he should be at the school games, but he, he just talked like that because he smoked so much crack, his throat to gone. <laughs> and he told me, Come with me. And uh, we went to his house, which was a skip. Um, <laughs> and I do tell everyone it was a convertible skip, it had a rag top. <laughs> and he and I lived in the skip for about four months in Soho, in the West End. But as the weather got colder and as it got rainier, and as The shops that we could visit got further and further away. I don't know why we were so easy to spot me, six foot four with my accent, Delroy with his spiderweb tattoo. (laughs) Um, I decided that we needed to to upgrade. I mean, after all, I'd been to public school. I was an an educated man. And uh, I decided, Delroy, what we need to do is rob a bank. (laughs) (laughs) I was quite high. Anyway, I made this brilliant plan, we got high as kites, we thought, right, let's go for it. It wasn't a, you know, to be honest, the only, the only training I'd had for this <coughs> enterprise was trains of steak out of Sainsbury's, but I reckoned that if you could get into a bank, you could just clear out the drawers. It was a little bit naive, really. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when anyway, we got our shit together, we are fine. Good. you know, Got ready. Hyped ourselves up. Got to the bank, and it was Sunday morning. <laughs> well, I wasn't really—I uh, wasn't going to be deterred by that. Um, I'm glad you're with me. So that was shut. But there was a Portuguese cleaning crew going in. Now my Portuguese is sketchy at the best of times. I can get a couple of beers and a coffee, and that's about it. And Delroy—Delroy Delroy was a little more convincing if he just kept his face to one side and shuffled. And um, anyway, we got into the bank Anyway, we soon got discovered It all kicked off And I got arrested Quite rightly too and, and Bob the Builder, have a go here parked his Nissan Irvan on my feet And I was nicked <laughs> uh, The police thought it was Christmas They cleared up all the missing meat mystery <laughs> And I ended up in Wandsworth With crushed toes My legs swelled up like kebab. Oh, God, I was in a very shit state, I could be said. Well, my legs got fatter and fatter, and my feet got bigger and bigger, and they, even, even they decided I should go to hospital. Now, to get me from a prison, where I deserved to be, to the hospital, where I needed to be, was an operation in itself. I, I couldn't get out of my cell until they cut a pair of trainers so that I could hobble like this. That's all I could do, I could hobble. It took three men to get me actually onto the loom because my legs were so. I was in a very bad way. Anyway, where they thought I was going to run, I don't know. But they shackled <laughs> me, like this, hard shackled, not handcuffs, steel shackles. And then on one end of the shackles, they, they they shackled a guard on that side, and then they shackled another guard on that side. So I'm pinioned between these two huge you know screws, and. Um, And they then put a leather belt round my waist on a 20-foot steel chain. (laughs) I was like Hannibal Lecter on a day out. (laughs) That's how society thought I should be dealt with. Well, they got me in the sort of, you know, there was a sort of it was a wheelchair ambulance, actually, because it's the only way they could get us all in. And we got to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, which has revolving doors. I don't know if you're familiar with (laughs) those. Right, you're with me. Okay, so there's the three of us, shackled, uh, trying to get in through the doors. And we could get in, the three of us, there was just enough room, but the guy on the chain, kept, it kept jamming. So we were totally. Anyway, so by now there was this hideous thing where the janitor came out, you had to undo the door, there's a crowd appearing. I'm thinking, God, I know somebody. <laughs> Whatever. And I went to the ultrasound bit and I got looked at and the, the, the hospital's got a long corridor and I'm quite tall. You'll spot it back if you're sitting down. And I was quite tall. And there was a, a cousin of my second ex-wife, Pending, as she turned out to be, uh, doing a friends of the hospital bookstore. And she saw me through the distance and went, you <laughs> As I was. Not to say, she collapsed, she fainted, she was so shocked. The last time she'd seen me was in a white linen suit, getting married in the, in the Algarve. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite the, 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 what she expected. But the, the, the amazing thing was, as she collapsed, I mean, bearing in mind, I'd been living in a skip, I was now physically pinned between these two guys with a guy leading me on the chain. It was the first time that I saw myself as other people must see me. And at that point, the madness stopped. Thank you very much for listening.